Welcome to the Diamonds for Our Children podcast, a public humanities project and motherhood ministry. I'm your host, Katie Jo LaRiviere. Drawing on all aspects of what Pope St. John Paul II called the feminine genius, I gathered together the narratives, expressions, and expertise of mothers as a collective epistolary given freely as a gift to all children who might need the loving and secure presence of motherhood. This podcast is for my little ones, of course, but it's also for you, dear one, whomever and wherever you may be. If you need the love of a mother, join me every Monday. Each episode is a facet of the diamond of motherhood, and each contributes to a unified love that reflects light back onto the world. Let us fill our hearts up so that we can pour them out. Hello, dear heart. Thank you for joining me today on the podcast. Last week, you heard me announce that our first season is coming to an end. Yes, at the end of May, May 24th, next Monday, that will be our season finale. This summer, while the Diamonds for Our Children podcast takes a restorative break and prepares for season two starting in August, Doc is going to run a free summer course called Poetry and the Human Person. So I usually teach this course in its much fuller form to my college seniors, but I'm going to reformat it just for you, and I hope, hope, hope you'll join me. The course is geared for those of you who are new to poetry, especially, or those of you who may want to boost your confidence for reading and analyzing poetic works. But it's also for anyone who just wants to read a beautiful collection of poems with me and our community. And it's for you if you want to learn a little more about the philosophy of the human person and the philosophy kind of behind this whole podcast. But the goal is that I'm going to take that philosophy and break it down so that it's easily accessible um, and fun to learn about. So the course begins June 14th, and it will run through the end of July. And I'll make a more specific announcement about dates in the upcoming season finale of the podcast next week. Um, And I'm going to run the course in bite-sized increments on Instagram Live with sessions between 20 and 30 minutes. So you can join me live if you like, or view the recording on your own time. This is no pressure, easy, and fun. So Tracy K. Smith who is one of the poets that we will read in this course, she argues that, quote, poems teach us to read them. And she suggests that poems require things of us as readers that other mediums, like the novel or a play, may not. Similarly, Nahira Waid writes, quote, I walk into a poem and walk out someone else. She suggests that poems have the ability to change us in the mere act of reading and writing them. So this course will ask questions about what poems do, how they mean, and what power they contain. This power, I think we will discover, has an intimate connection to concepts of human personality and human value uh, in poetic texts. So What is it to be a person? And how does poetry express 
humanity and human value. Well, we're going to imagine and define these concepts together using mechanisms of meaning making that poems especially, and sometimes singularly, teach us to use. So together, we will explore sort of an introduction to poetry. It's not a comprehensive introduction to like all of the poetic traditions of English and American history. No, I can't go through all of that. But it is a series of little intensive exercises. So just simple 10 to 30 minute videos that are designed to equip you with the analytical tools that you need to read, discuss, and write about poetry. I can't wait to share this with you, and I hope you will join me in reading and discussion over on Instagram this summer. The course begins June 14th, so come over and follow me on Instagram so that you will not miss a session. And now I cannot wait to share with you the most healing and tender-hearted conversation that I think I've had in a long while. And that's saying a lot because we've been through already 18 weeks of beautiful, tender-hearted discussions with my guests. I am so pleased, pleased, pleased to welcome to Diamonds for Our Children, Sister Miriam James Heinland. She's a former Division I athlete who had a radical conversion and joined the Society of Our Lady of the Most Holy Trinity, or SOLT, in 1998. Her story has been featured on EWTN's The Journey Home, Sikh Conferences, USCCB Convocation, that's the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops, Um, at Steubenville conferences and other outlets. Sister Miriam also speaks at seminaries, like the one where I work, um, also at priests' convocations and healing retreats for priests. In addition to speaking, she served as the director of novices for her SOLT community and in parish ministry. For the past eight years, Sister Miriam has served as an assistant to both her provincial and general superiors. She holds a master's degree in theology from the Augustan Institute and speaks extensively on the topics of conversion, authentic love, forgiveness, healing, and sports. Sister Miriam's podcast, Abiding Together, can be found on iTunes, and her book, Loved As I Am, can be found on Amazon. She tweets at one groovy nun, and I can't wait for you to hear this just gorgeous conversation. All right, so most of my listeners know that I am Catholic and that I'm faculty at a seminary where young men discern the priesthood and they, you know, begin their their kind of it's a college degree, right? But they they are beginning their formation there. Um, but this podcast is not kind of quote unquote a Catholic project, strictly speaking. Um, so some of my listeners might not be familiar with the life of a religious sister, mm-hmm. and they may not know what those four letters after your name mean, those Mm -hmm. S-O-L-T. So I wonder if you could kind of introduce that for us. Tell us what those letters mean. How do they inform your approach to living? What is it it like being a religious sister in that particular order? 
Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Well, first of all, thanks for having me on your, <laughs> on your podcast today. I'm delighted to, to be with you. And I, yeah, people ask that all the time. It's very interesting of, I think there was a time in society when religious life was known very deeply and just from the tumultuous things that have happened over the last, you know, say 70 years or so, there's been a, a shift in that. And so I get all kinds of questions when I go out in public, which is really wonderful. <laughs> so <laughs> uh, a religious sister, first and foremost, she is a bride of Christ and that is her deepest identity. It's a spousal identity. It's an eschatological sign of how all of us will live in heaven when Jesus Christ will literally be our all in all and we will be wed to him forever in a love that never ends. And I usually when I give talks, I talk about how every single person, you know, all of us in the Western world know that the end of every fairy tale that says, and they lived happily ever after. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's a Christian worldview. That's um, not every fairy tale in every part of the country or every part of the world ends that way. But that's really the deepest desire of the human heart is to live happily ever after. And what religious life is, it's a direct participation, albeit in a beginning way, of the life that all of us will live in heaven, uh, which is why it's so challenging and so captivating at the same time. <laughs> and it's one of the reasons why, you know, the enemy goes right after the priesthood and religious life, I think the most, because if he can destroy that sign, then destroy that reality, then it, it, it like the, when you scatter, when you strike this, the shepherd, the sheep are scattered. And so you see this massive disruption in religious life over the last 70 years or so and a, a fundamental misunderstanding of what it is. But I think you're seeing, like John Paul II said, a new springtime in the church, a new resurgence of the truth of what that is. So first and foremost, we serve in many different ways, our apostolic work, um, but is always an outflowing of that relationship with Christ. And so I joined my religious, and I can tell you more about that as we go, but I joined my religious community over 22 years ago, right out of college, which was not part of my plan for my life. I had a different plan, <laughs> and uh, which is so wonderfully surprised by the Lord. And I belong to a missionary community called the Society of Our Lady of the Most Holy Trinity, S-O-L-T. And we were founded in 1958. We're still a brand new baby community. And our founder just passed away several years ago. Mm. And so we're applying to the Holy See for pontifical approval, which means the final recognition, the final solidification from the Holy See of the legitimacy of our community. Uh, we serve in 11 different countries. We serve in teams of priests, sisters, and laity, which is our charism. And we serve, uh, when a bishop invites us into his diocese, he gives us a work to do, and that's what we do. So we serve in a lot of rural places, a lot of poor places, places where people just need to receive the love of God. And that's what we try to do. Amen. That's beautiful. Um, I, I'm struck by what you were saying about sort of um, Satan's way in, mm -hmm. right? Through disruption, fracture, scattering, disunity. Um, and we've been really talking on the show the whole season about sort of reorienting our view toward other people, mm -hmm. um, really seeing the person in front of us and going out to them. And I feel like that's just exactly what, what your, your charism is and exactly what, um, what you do. And so I just think that's so, that's so beautiful. We were kind of, I was kind of thinking uh, this thread um, as you were speaking about that. It's, it's lovely. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we certainly try. <laughs> <laughs> that's for sure. That's true. I, I think, and I, what you're saying is very true. And I, it's very interesting. Both religious and secular people are lamenting the same thing, really, in a sense, the loss of the yes. recognition of the human person and what does it mean to be human. And I think that's the, one of the greatest crises of our time today. I mean, if you look in the early church, you look, say, the first thousand, the fifteen hundred years of the church, the, the crisis, and there were ecumenical councils over it. There were, you know, heresies over it. Like, who is God? 
You know, who mm-hmm. is Christ? You know, is it he's, is Jesus Christ true God and true man? Is he consubstantial? Is he something else? Is he, you know, and so you see these massive heresies and crises in the church. And really what we find today is the crisis really not so much as who is God. I mean, it always is, but it's really the more crisis is like, who is man? Mm. What is it? What does it mean to be human? Yeah. What, what does it mean to be made in the image likeness of God? What does it mean to, uh, you know, what does it mean to live? What does it mean to live a happy life? What does it mean to really live an integrated whole incarnational life? And what is Christ showing us? So you see, you can see the attack and where the attack is, that's where the greatest grace is. So it's, it's so truly a sign of the Holy Spirit, I think. Yeah. Oh, you just got me. My brain is just like ping, ping, ping. Cause I'm, mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm thinking about, uh, this I'm a medievalist by training, Ooh, and uh, yeah, there's this medieval um, play called Wisdom, mm. and it's a drama about the the main characters are the soul and Christ, and this is precisely the question that the soul comes to Christ and she asks him. Of course, her name is Anima in the oh, play, and she she asks him, um, "What are you? Who are you?" And he says her his response to her is. No, no, you'll find out who I am when you find out who you are, Mm. because you are my image and likeness. Mm. And what she finds in the play, like the very, you know, the end message is that it's all caritas. Like her very existence is caritas, Um, that charity, right? The Mm. love of the Lord. Mm. And so, and so that's how she realizes who he is. It is, it's so um, fascinating to me. I think throughout human history, we are, we are wrestling with this relationship yeah. at, at the fundamental, at the base of it. I have a feeling all of this that we're talking about and also the, your charism, the SOLT life, I, I have a feeling that it, it has something to do with what motherhood means to you mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and how you came to, to your way of thinking about it. And so maybe you could tell us a little about, about that. What does motherhood mean to you? Oh, that is a great question. <laughs> I know, <laughs> that, it's impossible. That is, a, that is a great question. And I find that for myself, it's always a deeply unfolding reality. Just this morning, I, I get up very early in the morning and I have just co- right before a holy hour, I just have coffee and it's totally dark and just me and coffee in the Lord. And uh, <laughs> I pray about a lot of very deep things. And so I was just spending time with Our Lady this morning, uh, actually in the moment of my own conception, Mm. and just asking her to speak to me of the truth of what that reality is and was, and also her covering, her maternal covering of that. And I think, gosh, like there's so many things we could say about motherhood. And all of us, you know, we have mamas, all of us come from moms. And Mm -hmm. I think all of us, if we're very honest, have differing reactions within our own hearts about motherhood. Mm-hmm. Uh, for some of, I mean, and there's always, I would say many facets in our own heart of, of the, the desire for, and like Bishop Fulton Sheen says, the desire for a safe, warm, nurturing, connected, strong, affirming communion of love, which is exactly what a woman, her gift is to the world is she is tender communion. Even the way our bodies are made, you know, we're soft and round and we, we take people into us and that's our feminine genius to be attentive to the whole person and to receive the person. And all of us have a desire for that. And all of us, I, think, I would say, every single one of us has received that in a, in a, in a certain way to, to greater or lesser degrees. And then I think all of us have facets in our hearts where motherhood can mean something else. 
you know, it might mean dismissiveness or smothering or manipulation or unavailability or fear or uh, unsurety or insecurity. So I think to really understand that, you know, for every man and every woman, all of us have a various, you know, kind of microcosm within our own souls of, of motherhood and, and what that really means and how, you know, the world needs mothers and all of us need mothers. And for women, all of us, whether we are married or celibate, all of us are called to be mothers. That's the most mature identity of a woman. So we talk about we come into the world as a daughter, then we become sisters, whether biologically or to humanity. And then every single one of us is called to be a bride, right? You know, and how we give ourselves, and then as a mother. And so the mother, the, that mature self, that mature part of our identity is self-giving love. Right. So every single woman is called to give the gift of herself, whether, you know, both biologically or spiritually, depending on how she's how the Lord has called her to give the gift. But we must give the gift of ourselves in love. And that's the deepest desire of our hearts to make a gift of ourselves and to receive another. Um, and also it's our deepest calling and our deepest destiny as well. And it takes a lot of security, maturity and purity for us to live more fully into that every day. Mm. I was like little trinitarian phrase there security maturity and purity mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. what i'm gathering from what you're saying is this idea that motherhood takes it takes a lot of work right but this is i mean this is a truth of like anyone who's who's a mother knows this but there's this sort of deep underneath kind of work right all, all oh, yeah. of this spiritual work this personal um, it, it's a philosophical work too, mm -hmm. a theological kind of labor, you know, above and beyond the very stereotypical labor of motherhood, which is, mm -hmm. you know, doing dishes and laundry and sippy cups and mm -hmm. all that stuff. And so I'm wondering if you have particular inspirations um, or have, have read particular people or particular ideas behind the theological work, the emotional work, philosophical work uh, that you've done to, to come to this way of thinking about it. Mm -hmm. I think it's, it's all of that. It's, it's, it's both. And it's been a tremendous journey of studying the theology of the body, studying love and responsibility, studying Edith Stein, studying um, just the great works of, of femininity, of Teresa of Avila, of Catherine of Siena, of Therese, of, Hildegard of Bingen of, and also incorporating that reality into my own life and my own story. And I think for me for a long time, you know, we're people of story and we, we, we come from a story and we're part of a story, which is why story speaks so deeply to us. And every single one of us has a story. Every single one of us, all of us have stories that play out in our daily life, that our stories from childhood still play out into this daily life. And I know for myself, one thing that I had to really um, encounter in my own life was, especially as I came closer to Our Lady, is that I really had to ask her to show me who she was hmm. because I realized that I didn't know her. I, I knew about her. I'd read about her. I'd read Louis Marie de Montfort. I'd read, I'd read so many saints reflect on her. I've heard people tell me about her, but I, I realized that many years into religious life, uh, I didn't know her. And I had to get on my knees one day and I've made this prayer many times since and just poured out my heart to her and said, I need to know you. Mm -hmm. I need, need a to know story. You. Yes. Yeah. I need to know you. I, I don't know what it means to be a woman. I don't know what it means to be a bride and a mother. I, I, I don't know what to do with the broken parts of my story. And I know for myself, I was conceived out of wedlock. My biological parents were high school students and I was put in a, in a foster home for three months and then adopted. And so by the time my parents adopted me, I was on mother number three, mm -hmm. you know? And so 
I, I just studying so much trauma research and doing so much intense counseling and recovery from an addiction and just massive 16 years of, of massive, massive work on my own story with the mm -hmm. Lord of coming to understand attachment theory and what happens in the womb between a mother and her child and the rupture of therein and, and just different realities of just, you know, in, in my own mama, my, my, you know, every mom, it's, I think that's one of the best things I've learned about my mom. The mom who raised me was, is that as an adult now, what I see is my mom is a person and she too has a story, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And she doesn't have all the answers, but she's trying. And so, yeah, I think that continual, it, it's a deep interior work that has to unfold every day for us to be able to give the gift of ourselves in more pure ways, I believe. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's kind of the idea of this podcast kind of began with that question. Like mm -hmm. I, I was thinking to myself, you know, I, I'm kind of hitting a moment in my life where um, my kids are going to start realizing that I am a human being <laughs> that's, mm, yeah. that's separate from them, yes. you know, uh -huh. uh, and that I have this story. And then I'm thinking, well, what is my story? <laughs> How do I yes. want my kids to understand what I'm doing here? Right. Mm -hmm. And, and how they got to be here. Yes. How, you know, what is the, um, what is the history of, the way I am their mother. Mm, um, mm -hmm. And so this, this whole idea about trying to tell that story and, and trying to really understand it myself, right? Because yeah. writing it is living it. And then I'm also thinking about this idea of story and it's, it's necessity, right? It seems like for you um, and for everyone, mm -hmm. it's a necessity to tell the story, to, mm -hmm. to narrativize the things. And that this podcast is a humanities project, right? Mm. And the, the idea of it was like, let's bring together motherhood and the idea of a humanities, like a public humanities mm. study, right? Where we are going to tell some stories together that can help us move forward. And so I'm just mm. so inspired by your, the way that you're thinking about that and also the deep commitment to to uh, learning how to tell a story in the way that you, you need it and want it to be told um, and the way that, that God is shaping it, right? The way that he is asking you to tell it, um, which, is, which is just fundamental. Mm -hmm. um, I, yeah. I, well, I appreciate what you're saying there, Katie Jo, because I appreciate your own intuition and your own insight into your story and about your mothering. And like you said, my kids are about to find out that I'm a person. <laughs> <laughs> right. And I think sometimes we're afraid of that. And I, I could imagine as a biological mother of, you know, looking at your kids and, and, and realizing at times you passed on what you've been given and Amen. you're Amen. like, oh gosh, okay. I didn't want to pass that on or, or understanding like you can't fulfill all their needs and only God can do that. And like, how do you, yeah. How do you be a vessel of, of strength and goodness and one that is opening and receptive and offering back to the Lord for what he's given? Mm -hmm. in a way that allows the child to be a gift to you and being uh, deeply received by the Lord as well. I could only imagine. Wow. <laughs> it's a, it's a lot. <laughs> yeah. I bet. It's the most important job on the face of the earth. Yes. Mm. Uh, but then this makes me think too, because I'm also a professor, right? And so mm -hmm. I have all of these students who, yes. you know, and it's in my situation at the seminary, it's unlike any other college that I've, that I've taught at, right. Where it's, it's, you know, I have a student for a semester and maybe I never see them again. And my job is basically to assess their writing or whatever and give them a grade. And, 
and they go on to do whatever they're going to do. Of course, to me at the time, that felt very much um, a, a necessary and important place to show up for my oh. students, right? Yes. And that's amplified times a thousand now that I'm teaching at a seminary where young men are deciding to give their whole lives to the Lord forever. And it's a very heavy responsibility while, while it's very joyful. And so I'm trying to cultivate a bit, you know, not just my biological motherhood. I've got my three kiddos at home, but, Mm -hmm. but also my sense of spiritual motherhood and how I show up for these young men every day. And I wonder if you could help me. (laughs) Can you tell me a bit, like, what, how, what is spiritual motherhood, right? And how, how do we live it? Mm -hmm. Oh, gosh. I just, first of all, I just want to say, I love that you're at the seminary. That makes my heart sing. Amen. It it is a dream job. I tell you what. Gosh, I, I love, (laughs) uh, I love that on so many levels. Uh, We talk about that in our podcast often about the necessity for women in the world today, you know, to give the gift of themselves, you know, like John Paul II says, wherever you find yourself that go Mm -hmm. as a woman, you know? Yes. And I, oh gosh, I just, I, yes. So I work extensively with seminarians and priests in the healing ministry. And I can't tell you how grateful I am that those young men are at a seminary with you because Every man needs an experience of affirming, healthy, authentic, feminine love. Mm. Especially young men going into the seminary when there's just such a society ripped apart by pornography and brokenness and divorce and sorrow. For these men to begin to understand what it's like to be uh, given to by a woman in a healthy, authentic wonderful, beautiful way that they can receive from a woman. They can have a a relationship with her. It helps the men build not only their interior reserves and and healing around their own experience of femininity, but also it helps them prepare for the priesthood when they will have to, if they want to be a healthy priest, be able to be in relationships in a healthy way with women. Mm -hmm. And so when you, you're showing up for them and you're sharing of your life and your expression of your feminine genius as, a, as seeing them, as affirming them, as calling them to excellence of, of speaking into their hearts, of, of being there consistently day in and day out. I, I really believe like in a way you're a mother, many of them have never had. And I just, I don't want to minimize the significance of what you're doing because that is so beautiful. And I love that the seminary hired you and amen to it. I love it. I so much gratitude to the whole structure and mm. everyone at the seminary. I mean, I think I'm, I think I'm one of five full-time women wow. faculty. Um, and it's, and it's a very small school. So, mm. you know, um, still we're, you know, <laughs> the women are not the majority there at all. And that's, that's, it's fine. It's all in God's providence. Um, but it's amazing. I think first of all, uh, and a testament to the world, a testament also about like you know, what is, what does the Catholic church actually think about women? Like for real, for real, yes. real. Yep. <laughs> right. I, I've never, never once. And this is, this is, I'm coming from a place where I'm constantly having to defend my, my role as a woman in academia and, and um, constantly having to defend also the fact that I'm a mother mm-hmm. who's also a professor and a scholar um, but coming here to the seminary, I've never once had to defend that. I've never once been disrespected. Uh, mm. I, I mean, it is the amount of honor 
that I feel doing it is, is, is incredible. And so it, it is really a testament to that deep and fundamental understanding of the feminine genius within the church mm. and within, you know, and in the place where the church is just, it's like simmering under the surface and then it's going to graduate and ordain these, these priests, God willing. Um, yeah. yeah, it is a, it is a very special, very special situation. Mm-hmm. I appreciate what you said about that. Oh gosh, it's true. I, I really, it really does make my heart sing. And I, I really believe that the priesthood and seminary life is ground zero of restoration of the church. And I, the priesthood is the deepest love of my life. I would spend the rest of my life working to heal priests. If, I, if that's what the Lord wanted, I would do that. I would give up every other speaking engagement for that. Mm. And I, I, I love the priesthood. I love that the reality of who they are is, is Christ on earth and, and their hearts and this ontological reality of, of Jesus Christ truly present. And, you know, if the father, if the bridegroom is sick, and if the father is sick, the family is going to be sick. Mm-hmm. And so I think, and, and I really are, you know, and it's, it's challenging, you know, many ways, a lot of like the paradigms we've also had in certain church circles, right, about the feminine genius and what does it mean to, to heal and to bless and what does it mean to really have a healthy culture? Because I think we could all admit that what's worked is what, you know, things have not been working in the past and we can't keep doing the same old thing and hoping somehow it works. That's insanity. Yeah. So it's like, how do we... It, what it, what the Holy Spirit is doing today, what is the Holy Spirit asking of the bride today so that we can become healthy in the Lord and provide a safe place for people to come to receive Mother Church and so that our, especially priests, um, are healthy so they can give the gift of themselves in their masculine genius, which is to lay down their life so the bride can live, right? So mm-hmm. how can we expect them to do that if many of them are still emotionally, you know, in a, in a boyhood state or a state that's deeply addictive or immature. Like how can we expect them to give the gift of themselves if, if we're not helping them in the deepest places, enable them to do that. And I, I just, I wholeheartedly believe in that. So I love, I love what you're doing. I just, gosh, I, and more than that, I love who you are. I just love your oh. being. It's just so lovely. <laughs> so lovely. Gosh. Thank you. I think um, there's some kindred spirit thing happening here too. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, um, I think, one of the very first, and this is just all goes to, you know, praise, praise be to the Lord for his timing and his way of bringing people together who, who, who need to have a conversation. Yeah. Right. Um, I think when this idea just first uh, sprouted in my mind, and I'm kind of reflecting over it because you're our guest, our last guest of um, my first season. And so mm. I'm kind of, yeah, it is a very good like capstone moment um, and a beautiful, beautiful moment for me. Mm. Because when I first thought of this idea, I thought, well, you know, I was thinking of all this idea about telling my story and figuring mm. out what my story is. Mm-hmm. But I was also like, okay, I need, I need the right people to help me tell it. And you're one of the very first people that I thought of. Uh, and I was very hopeful for, um, for this conversation and, and very much appreciating it. And then I was also thinking, okay, if, if I, you know, if I can have help telling my story, <laughs> maybe that's going to be fruitful beyond myself, beyond my own children, right? Like mm-hmm. I, at first I thought maybe I'll just like write a book and then my kids can read it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was a very small thing. And then I thought, I, what if, what if I could help somebody else? Right? What if I could, what if telling my story emboldened somebody else to think about their story, yeah. you know, and it just kind of, it really, really grew and grew. 
in terms of scope. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess I'm just kind of rambling about this because uh, just out of my gratitude, just out mm-hmm. of my gratitude um, to you for helping me with Aww. it. <laughs> well, I love that. And I mean, that's, that's exactly how it works. I think as we come to, to tell our story and to tell the stories of our life and, and to the extent that it's appropriate, you know, all of us have a 30,000 foot version of our story and then all of us have ground zero. Yes. <laughs> and yes. so I think understanding those realities and how they've shaped us and, and understanding more and more, you know, all of us have certain narratives of a story. There's the truth, there's God's eternal truth, and that's the true story. And then the enemy has a narrative. <laughs> and then we also have narratives based on how close we are to God's true version of the story. And so I think as we do that, and it's, it's sp- saying out like what we believe about ourselves, what happened, what we believe about ourselves, what what are some agreements we may have made that are, are outside the range of what God says. And as we allow those things to be continually unfolded in our life, what we see that the Lord's, as you know very well in teaching in a seminary, like the Lord's sovereignty of our life is revealed mm. and his tenderness of his ever presence at every moment, which in our trauma, in our abandonment, in the places of sorrow, in the places of joy and hope and beauty, his His luminosity and his luminescence is, is revealed more and more. And the truth of that there, and I'm not saying this because I'm a nun, but like the truth of the reality of Christ present at every moment in our life. And the fact he, we have never, ever been alone, ever. Mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. everything in our life there's nothing wasted in the economy of salvation nothing is wasted and i just i i i just immensely am awed by that all the time and in my own story and hearing other people's stories and praying with people and hearing so much trauma and sorrow and then seeing what god does little by little in our everyday life it's just he is so beautiful <laughs> yes <laughs> like, i this, know <laughs> this is the god who loves us like He's so, it just makes me weep. He's so kind and so just lovely. Yeah. So lovely. Yeah. It's just so, it's just so heartrending, you know? Absolutely. And I, I feel suddenly I'm having this, this sort of image of the diamond. Of course, the, mm. the title of this project is Diamonds for Our Children. And I'm thinking like out of the, the facets that, that oh, we're yes. pulling together of our in our conversation and um sort of he is he is shining out like all mm-hmm. it's like his light coming um being projected through this through this diamond and, and coming out of all of its facets it's a very bright yeah. image for me mm-hmm. mm. I love the image of the diamond I I really believe that's our heart like their heart has so many facets to it and and that Jesus loves us so much that he's going to visit every single one of them. Oh, amen. Yeah, you know, to bring us into communion. And so so as we go through our story, and, and you know, all of us have, I call them foundational breakpoints in our story. Usually we have one, two, or three, just really deep areas of, of, of breakpoints in our story. And, and much of the rest of our life flows from those places. Mm-hmm. And so, so often in our story, we're like, this again? Like, this, this again? And, <laughs> yeah. and so we've, we were afraid maybe that, oh, God didn't heal me there or didn't forgive that person. Yeah. Or I, and it, that's not how the Lord sees it. It's he just, he loves us so much. He's going to come to every facet of our hearts and it might feel the same to us, but it's never the same. It's like a puzzle piece, you know, they lay side by side. And so I love the image of a diamond and I, I love that reality. Like you're just talking about, I love the reality of facets because our hearts are just like that. I really believe. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know what, I think that whole idea of scattering and disunity is like mm-hmm. an attempt to make you only see one facet at a time. Oh, that's a good point. Yep. 
right? So that you only look at your story, you only look at yourself mm-hmm. from one perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, that's, that's kind of that, that the enemy's narrative, right? Mm-hmm. That he, he's like, oh, no, you're only this. Mm, that's good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But God is like, um, hi, I'm shining over all <laughs> over this. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yes. Um, yeah. Yes. And it's so, oh, it's like you said, he's so tender. Yeah. Um, and, and earlier you were saying too about the feminine genius being tender communion. And I had this, I, I was thinking too about the relationship between motherhood and the concept of tender mercy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I That's wonder, good. yeah, I wonder if you had any thoughts on that. Like what, mm-hmm. what is that relationship? What is the thing that we're doing there? Yes. I, I really, when we talk about tenderness, tenderness is, in a, you know, I, I define kindness like the fruit of the Holy Spirit is kindness is tender strength, and that tenderness, like like uh, Pope Benedict or Pope Francis was talking about in his letter for the year of Saint Joseph, that he said is only, he says only tender love that will save us from the snares of the accuser, right? Mm-hmm. And he mm-hmm. said it's our inability. Many times he said we point fingers at other people and we're so harsh and we're so judgmental. It's because we're harsh and judgmental to ourselves. And he says it's, it's our own inability to accept our own weaknesses and to receive tender love there. And tenderness is disarming. It's unnerving. It is it is the one thing that just shoves us out of our narrative of self-hatred. It's like the interruption of tenderness, the interruption of this birth in a stable in Bethlehem, this interruption of this young girl whose yes changed the course of human history, uh, the interruption of Peter hating himself with this fire where Jesus reconciles Peter to himself. It's, it's that it's Jesus is just so tender. And we see that par excellence in the gift of our lady who her love is so beautiful. Her love heals like her. And I, I often say, you know, we think about s- spending time with Jesus, Mary and Joseph and Nazareth and just spending time with them there and just being with them as a family and watching how Joseph and Mary love each other and how Jesus receives his boyhood, his manhood from Mary and Joseph and, and how they navigate life as a family. And people often say, and I, they make jokes of it, especially on feast day of St. Joseph of like, Oh, well, you know, if there was a problem, we know whose fault it was, you know? And I, I really feel like that is Mm -hmm. such a, just, it's such a impoverished understanding of what life in Nazareth would have been like, because could you, yeah. Could you imagine being loved by a woman who had no sin or no issues. I mean, imagine some imagine being surrounded in a family of love with Mary and jo- Mary and Jesus, okay? You're Joseph or you're somebody who's brought into their family and it's kind and it's loving and it's forgiving and it's excellent and it's beautiful and it's joyful and it's life-giving and they have hard conversations and they tell the truth and they I mean, that would call Joseph, that would call all of us to not only such a deep understanding and a deep receptivity and a transparency of our hearts, but to the most excellent way of life possible. And Mm. that's what tender mercy is, this deeply respectful interruption of sin in our life where mercy comes in ways that's not destructive or not shaming, Mm. but truthful and life-giving. And that's the call of femininity in a special way. You see that in Mary at the foot of the cross. Her tender communion, how she stands there as Our Lady of Sorrows, not in hatred, not in bitterness, not in resentment, not in grasping, not in manipulation, but totally surrendered, totally heart-rended, and totally open to God's love there. It's stunning, stunning. Mm-hmm. 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 Oh, I, I was thinking about like, so in in parenting books and parenting lessons and stuff like that, you 
you hear about like this concept behavior is communication. And, you know, so, so the idea is like your child is having a tantrum and like throwing things or, you know, stomping their feet or screaming or whatever. And so the idea is you approach the child and you don't say, like, stop doing that. You're going to be mm-hmm. in trouble. Mm-hmm. Like you're causing a disruption. It's that, that, that is like the sh- shaming kind mm. of c- correction, right? Like you're just not acting right. Mm. But instead, when you understand behavior as communication, you say, oh, what is my child trying to communicate to me? Oh, that's good. Right. And so you go and I level and you say, mm. you know, I see you're so upset. What, what do you need? How can mm. I help you? Mm. And I feel like that's, mm. that's the Lord. Yes. Like that's him coming and saying, hi, I love you. Now mm. let's deal with this thing. Mm-hmm. Okay. Let's start first mm. where I see you mm. and I love you. Mm. And then, then we'll deal with it. Mm. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. Mm. he is a the master of that and and i and then i'm thinking about what you said about um mary sort of calling everyone in that household to this purity and this tenderness and this beauty yeah. this way of living and i i must i i think she must have been a master at that behavior as communication <laughs> principle oh gosh yeah mm. I uh, yes, I love what you said there. I th- that is so true because yeah, our hearts are always trying to tell us something, and we always behave out of what we really believe. And yeah. that that even the posture, I love the posture of of Jesus. How often does he do that, do that with us? He just gently bends down to us. These little parts of us, yes. you know, these little parts of us that are stuck in fear and anxiety and scarcity, and he just so tenderly just just bends down and looks at it like you're saying, just like that of saying, Hey, Hey, what's going on? Like, what's, what's tell me, tell me what's happening right here. You know, like I, you're okay. I'm not leaving you. I'm not going to forsake you. I'm not going to shame you. So let let me just speak to your heart. You're like that, that, I mean, all, I think, you know, all of us, when we speak of truth, that's beautiful to bear and sorrowful to bear. I think all of us, when we know somebody loves us, we can bear the deepest things Mm-hmm. But I think it was so much of our hearts, we have these broken narratives of who God is, which comes from original sin and th- from our own sin, and then people sin against us, that our our continual narrative of God is the one who is like, get yourself together and act well. And what we don't understand right. is that Christ is the one who who's within us, who continually opens our hearts. And I, I just love how he just continually shatters our paradigms of who God is. I just, mm-hmm. that's my prayer. I'm like, Jesus, please do that. Please do that every day. Like shatter my, my tiny little narrow judgmental paradigms of who you are, because my idea of you is not too big. It's too small. So you, you must, you have yes. to, you have to shatter my, shatter these places where I just have you in a little box and I, I want to stick my own little comfortable place. And Jesus like, no, like you're saying, can I, he's like, can I come closer? Can I just yeah. come closer and be with you here? I don't want to fix you. I just want to be with you. It's like, yeah. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it reminds me of this, this John Donne poem where hmm. he says, he says, it's one of his holy sonnets, I think number five. And he says, I am a little world. And he's mm. talk, he's thinking about what he is, right? I'm these elements and I'm also a spirit. And then he realizes like in my sinfulness, I have burned my world. Like mm. I have, it's like a forest fire has come through and taken over my world. And then he says, but God, will you 
will you turn that fire into your fire? Oh, that's good. Will you, yeah, will you like transform what my idea is of you? What my idea is of fire? What my idea is of my world? Mm, mm-hmm. Like, will you just come and just, just blaze over it because I need to be remade? Mm. It is such a tender, like, and humble welcoming of the way that God works. And he would, like, that's what he would do. God mm. would come and he would say, yeah, I'm here oh. for it. Amen. Amen. Yes. Yes. And amen. Yes. Mm. <laughs> it's so true. So good. Mm-hmm. All kinds of synthesis happen in here in my brain. <laughs> oh, it's so lovely. Yeah. So lovely. Oh, that is the joy of it, right? He, mm-hmm. he provides these things for us, these little clues. Mm-hmm. everywhere we go, everything mm-hmm. we study, the Lord is like, here, here's this little one. Amen. <laughs> now come to me. <laughs> uh, yes. Amen. Oh man. Okay. So I'm wondering just as kind of my, my closing question, the question, and not like I ever want this conversation to end, <laughs> but um, I have this, this closing question that I really like to ask of my guests because they always give me something um, interesting that I can follow. And so I'm wondering what is one resource that you might suggest to our listeners who want to keep exploring these ideas, who want to keep diving deeper? Oh, I'm so glad you asked me that because, uh, the, I recommend a book and a ministry. So the the number one book I recommend across the nation to people is a book by Dr. Bob Schutz. And the book is called Be Healed be healed. You can get it on Amazon. It's published by Ava Maria Press. And Dr. Bob Schutz is the head of a ministry called the John Paul II Healing Center. And he's been a marriage and Catholic marriage and family therapist for 40 years. And so I, I'm on his staff. I work with him exclusively. And I, I cannot say enough good things. I mean, he was the one who coined security, maturity, and purity of how our hearts are formed. And so I really believe, you know, I speak extensively across the nation at all kinds of retreats and conferences and, and just about healing and restoration and recovery and love and conversion. And people ask me all the time, all the time, like, how can I be a better priest? How can I be a better wife or a better coworker or a better grandmother? And I say this in all sincerity every single time. And I mean it as much for myself as I mean it for every single person I say it to the best gift that you and I can give to the world and whatever circle we find ourselves in is to let Jesus Christ come and heal us every single day, Mm. every single day. And this book, Be Healed, talks about our family story. It talks about God's love, about the Trinity. It talks about our identity wounds of, of abandonment and fear and all these places where we make agreements with them and then how that fractures our view of God, ourselves and others. And then how, how do we heal from that? And so their website is, um, JP, uh, JP two healing center, JPII healing center.org. And we have retreats across the nation. Um, Bob has four, four or five books out now, but his book be healed. And another one that's going to come out in the fall about sexual brokenness exclusively called be restored. That that's just the number one book I recommend across the nation. I would, I would highly recommend it. Mm, awesome. And I agree with you, like the best thing we can do for each other is to be the best version of ourselves. Yeah. Right. And we yeah. only, we can only do that if we, if we can feel whole and mm-hmm. if we can, if we can, we can only be love. Right. If we, if we recognize we are loved. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Mm-hmm. What a beautiful, just, this has been like a, a gem of a conversation. Mm-hmm. I was just riffing on my diamond yeah, metaphor. No pun intended. Yeah. <laughs> Well, pun intended, actually. That's what I'm we're doing a here. literature professor. That's my job. <laughs> literature. So, 
Yes. Um, oh, thank you so much. Thank you so much. I'm so blessed by you. uh, your presence here. Thank you so much. And thank you for having me with you. And just thank you for the beautiful gift that you are to the world, especially to your, your family, your immediate family and your primary vocation, and also your spiritual motherhood to all those young men. I'm so happy for them that they get to spend their seminary with you. That is just delightful. Mm, That's a blessing to me. Thank you. Thank you so much for spending time with me this week. You are a beloved child. And today for just a few moments, you chose to be with me. I'm so honored by that. I hope you can feel how much you are loved. If you know someone who could benefit by spending time with us, will you invite them to the Diamonds for Our Children community? Help them find our website at diamondsforourchildren.com. Send them a link to the show on Spotify, Apple, or any podcast platform. Or search for Diamonds for Our Children on Patreon. Patreon members are eligible for lots of good things, especially the opportunity to help me turn this mama love into tangible giving in our communities. You can also share what the show means to you by reviewing the podcast on the free Apple podcast app. Rating and reviewing helps others to find our community and our love. And who knows, your review might just be featured on the doc website. You can also get in touch with me via email at diamondsforourchildren at gmail.com to ask questions or share your thoughts with me. I can't wait to be with you again next week. Together, we create facets of a unified love that reflect light back onto the world.